Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Do you know where you are? You're in a dream. Would you like to wake up from this dream? Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Westworld episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we bring ourselves back online to give you a full review of Season 2's premiere, Journey into Night. Where we get the aftermath of Ford's master plan. Hale seeks to complete her mission, Lee runs into Maeve, and Dolores has a new endgame. Right now IMDb is giving this a 9.1 and Rotten Tomatoes an 87%. Earlier this week, we gave you an instant coffee episode where we just gave you our preliminary thoughts, our reactionary feelings, and really just got the band back together to start discussing Westworld. In this episode, we're going to give you a more in-depth review on this episode and a little bit of background knowledge, and maybe we'll already kind of start to theorize. Of course, it's a full episode review. We must. And at the end, we will have a spoiler section that will cover what we know about the titles of upcoming episodes and characters we might see this season. But we will give you a warning before we get into that. This is what the critics have to say about Journey into Night. Old habits die hard, but new mysteries, satisfying character development, and a brilliant enigmatic performance from Evan Rachel Wood keeps the intrigue alive. Overall, we talked about how we really enjoyed the episode. Of course, the excitement level wasn't quite as high as we left off with in season one. They had to set up all the players and the pieces, give us some buildup for what we could expect for the themes, and open up a lot of new questions for us to talk about. So let's start out at the very beginning. We said we were going to analyze this new title sequence that we get. It is slightly different from the one used in season one. They have some of the main points such as the skeleton hands on the player piano and the eyeball that kind of zooms in on the different mesas that we see in the background. But there was a couple of main differences, and I do believe they foreshadow the events to come. The first one, we had a horse being built and then proceeding into mid-gallop. This one that changed to a buffalo being built and later crashing through what looked like a pane of glass. Now with that, we've seen buffalo already in the world. And that's in the back offices where we saw Maeve and Lee. So I'm presuming those two buffalo that are just chilling right now back there, they're the ones that are going to break through that glass and wreak some havoc. And it does give an overall feeling that things are more wild. You don't have a horse, which is a creature that we have semi-domesticated and controlled. You have this large rampaging buffalo. Also in season one, you had two hosts being created and then having sex. This has changed now to a woman and child being created. Of course, that must be reflective on the narrative of Maeve right now and what she's going through to find her daughter. Absolutely. One that was a little more obscure, there were the machines that were creating things and that turned into a gun firing. And then we see somebody that looks like Armistice riding the horse with a gun in hand. This time, the machine is running its way through hair, creating hair. So I'm not exactly sure what that's supposed to be symbolic of. But then a kind of more obvious one, at the end of the sequence, we get the host being dunked into that milky substance versus this time around in season two, the host is going into water, almost looks like it's drowning, and then you get the hat sinking down into the water. Of course, we're not positive at this point, but I believe that 
is an indication of one of the main storylines in this season, which is what happened to all those hosts that we saw at the end of this episode who were drowned. And the water might continue to play a role, whether that's events that take place on the island or actually getting off of the island. Towards the beginning of the episode, we get a totally different timeline from the past 11 days ago and the present to what looks like a more distant past. And I don't know if this is Arnold himself talking to Dolores and creating her. That's what it seems like. But it's a flashback and he tells her about a dream he's had. He says, I dreamt I was on an ocean. You and the others were on a distant shore. You'd left me behind and the waters were rising around me. So we kind of get the theme reoccurring throughout the episode. Of course, knowing a little bit about symbolism and therapy, I couldn't help thinking that water in art therapy often symbolizes the unconscious, the subconscious, which you wouldn't think a host is really supposed to have. Could that be another interesting sign of them coming to an awakening? Oh, I like that. What about, and I'm just thinking about this now, so it might not make any sense, Noah's Ark? In that storyline, God wanted to start all over. So he created an ark and had two of every kind of animal and humans, right? And basically drowned the world to start all over. That could be the symbolism there. Yeah, well, we definitely get the idea of retribution, or as Dolores says, a reckoning about to happen. And she references the fact that not everyone is meant to make it through to the other side of the valley. And then the idea by the end of the episode, perhaps it was Bernard that killed these hosts, if he's being literal and not metaphoric, feeling guilty over some decision that led to this event. Did he, in fact, try to save all of his people or stop this inevitability and create a sea that drowned these hosts? Do you want to dive into that? I mean, we're talking about it. Might as well, right? It was a big part of this episode. So I've been thinking about this a lot. And in the shower, I normally have breakthroughs. (laughs) or at least perceived breakthroughs. And what I'm devising at this point is, yes, the water was created by Bernard, and no one knew about it because I think it happened fast. It wasn't something where we've seen Ford in the past. He has all these machines and humans rebuilding. Terraforming. Right. This, I think he literally just flooded this zone. And we're going to find out throughout the season what had happened. And we talked about it in the Instant Coffee There's still a big gap from right after the party where Ford was killed and when Bernard wakes up on the beach. Now, something to keep in mind, he woke up washed up on the beach, assuming it's the same body of water. This is an indication to me that he wasn't nefariously drowning these hosts. He was among them that would be drowned and he happened to survive. Now, why? We don't know yet. Yeah, well... Those are two very different sides of that. Either he was going along with the ideas that Arnold used to have back in the day, the only way to stop all of this from happening, the advancement, the host being taken advantage of, was to have somebody like Dolores come in and kill everyone, shoot all of them. Is this another replay of that? Or were they trying to escape? Were they trying to get to another park? Were they fleeing? You know, we don't know what his motivations were. And Bernard himself is very confused throughout this episode. I think it's going to take some time for him to really come back to himself and for us to learn that. Well, Bernard, it takes some time. Yeah, this is going to be what the writers are going to use to try to confuse us. He was this way in season one, but I believe he'll be even worse in season two in the fact that he's going to be very much like Elliot in Mr. Robot, the unreliable narrator. Yeah, between that and the multiple timelines, which were prevalent 
in order to create the mystery in season one. And it seems as though we will be bringing that back. And now this critical malfunction that he's experiencing, I don't know how long that's going to go on or, or where it's going to lead to. He's found a temporary fix by the end of this episode, which is to just inject himself with more of that fluid. And I have some info I want to talk about related to that later on. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. We also had a few music notes. We heard The Entertainer by Scott Joplin, which played in the Sweetwater Saloon as Dolores executed people. And one of our main theme songs, the one that played on the player piano during season one, every single time Teddy got off of the train and came into town. But this time around, it plays while the man in black cleans himself up inside of that cabin. And I know that must be iconic. I don't know if they're showing that the humans are the players now destined to repeat these loops at the mercy of the hosts and we've just switched positions. Well, that would make sense based off of what Child Ford said to the Man in Black later on this episode. Essentially, season one was the game of the maze and you were told the maze isn't for you. The maze is for the hosts. But this time around, the game is made for you made for the human to find the door to get out. And why is that? Why after so many years of Ford not caring if the man in black is entertained, it's not about that, it's about advancing our hosts, getting them to a higher level of consciousness, why is he playing along with him? I believe that question, the whole Ford meaning and why he's doing this narrative, is he still alive? The reasonings behind all this, we won't get this season. That's going to be something we get later on in the series. That's a big mystery. And is this in some way fighting against whatever the Delos board has in mind with their plans? Now we say Delos and they say Delos. We're aware that we say it wrong, but we've said it so much that occasionally we will keep saying Delos by mistake. I think that came from the very beginning where we t- <clears throat> where we were talking about Greek mythology and the island of Delos and how that might play in, but it's going to be weird if we keep going back and forth now. All right, moving along, we also have our segment of New Faces and Places. We discussed a little last time, but we did get Carl Strand, who is the head of Delos Operations. He's played by Gustav Skarsgård, and I didn't realize there was yet another Skarsgård. This is amazing. Son of Stellan, brother to Alexander and Bill, all of whom we love as actors. So I'm upset I didn't put that together while the episode was happening, but I'm eager to see him in more if he continues along. Oh, I think he's going to be the antagonist. We don't know where Charlotte is now. We saw her with Bernard in his remembering sequence, but we don't know where she is now. So I think he's essentially taking her job over, or maybe he's even higher. He's the military. He's the muscle that comes in. Yeah, I'm not sure. It seems like she was more on a board of directors, whereas he's operation kind of security management. Yeah, a, a sort of military operation for them. I think when it comes to running things normally within the board, it would be people like Charlotte Hale. We know that we have the man in black as CEO. We have people that are part of the board that are more financial backers. And then we have a founder, and that's James Delos, Logan's father, who we've heard a little bit about. We haven't been introduced to yet. We'll talk about him more later on. But there's a lot of moving parts to this company, as you would expect with something so large. I don't think it's a mistake that we're still in the dark about the exact hierarchy and the way things work. That is going to be part of the questions that unfold. 
the person Charlotte was communicating with, she was typing in those messages about extraction, where do they stand within all of this? We also got Antoine Costa. He was the tech who performed the in-field surgery on the Ghost Nation host. And then we got the new beings, the drone hosts, that if you watch some of the behind-the-scenes video, they talked about how they are supposed to be the hosts we know, but stripped of the facade that the park hosts were created to make the human visitors feel more comfortable. This is them taken down to their bare essentials and wiped of a semblance of personality. Uh, They're a lot more intimidating. They seem bigger. Basically, it's without the foolery that our brains could trick us with, saying, oh, no, look, Dolores is nice. They're just like us. Does that change our opinion about how human they are, viewing them in a form that looks like us? Well, I don't know, because we don't know much about them yet. They could be programmed differently. In this case, they seemed like workers slash guards, because Charlotte said, you scanned your DNA, he knows who you are, you're safe. If not, I think that thing would have destroyed him. Yeah, well, they do say they're, they don't have the personality, whatever those levels are that Maeve is messing with on the app perception scale, the ability to be funny or charming. It's just sort of a baseline. But it's very interesting to watch how they created these. This is not CG. They're actual foam latex suits that the actors wore. And the reason they probably look huge, one of the main actors you see was over six feet tall. They describe it as being shoved into a Ziploc bag and it looks so wildly uncomfortable and claustrophobic. One of the actors is a ballet dancer and they even had him doing ballet moves in the suit. So incredible. Yeah, I saw that video clip. Well, moving along for places we heard about but did not see Park 6. One of the other parks we know contains Bengal tigers. We're assuming that could be Samurai World, the only one we have confirmed so far that we will see soon. And we do know what episode. That will come in the spoiler section. And finally, new things. We had the circular device we spoke about, which is the brain of the hosts, and the mesh network that connects them all through a subconscious link to the closest hosts around them and lets them pass basic information like ants in a colony. The network helps keep all of the narratives from colliding. And this is something that Bernard took advantage of later on in this episode. Very reminiscent of Independence Day, where they had the mothership, which gave all the direction. If you took down the mothership, they would all go down. Uh, Except for that, there's probably no one mothership. But the fact that they're all in a network... Well, maybe, maybe not. That's a very intriguing point. Something we keep asking ourselves, which, if any of these hosts are truly awake, are they really coming to consciousness? Is Dolores really defying her program and developing a construct, a personality of her own? Has Maeve truly gotten off of her narrative, or is this what she's supposed to be doing? Are they becoming people... And maybe just some of them not very good ones. Maybe this is Dolores's new look that she just wants retribution. But I think that's going to be an ongoing thing to figure out. How woke are they really? And if not, if they are sort of like ants in the sense that the majority of them are drones and respond to one person at the center, is that a leader like Ford himself? Or is it another host who has maybe achieved some real level of consciousness Perhaps like Bernard. The question of are these hosts really creatures of free will at this point is something that we have brought up in the past. We brought up in the instant cast. And I believe this is going to be very important. 
but we do have some really good information in those regards, some parallels to humans and their free will and these hosts that we will go over in the spoiler section. It's not that we know anything more than you guys. It's that we dug a little deeper and we might be digging up some graves that you might not be willing to know yet. Before we dive deep into the plot and we start our journey into season two, there's a few things that are pretty cool about season two and, and some reasons why it took them so long. In watching a lot of behind the scenes videos and reading on the official HBO manuscripts, it is said that over two to 300 sets were made for this season alone. That is ginormous. If you think about the size of these sets. They have that HBO money. And Jeffrey Wright says about season two that it's like season one with jet fuel poured on top of it and set on fire. It's expanded, exploded, splintered. It's chaotic, thrilling, and hopefully in a way that a jet fuel fire wouldn't be. It will be satisfying for fans. Well, it's a lot to live up to. But what that says to me is that they're going to follow the same tricks that got them to the dance, which is good, just a little bit crazier. It is good because episode one didn't really feel that way. It felt like a slightly different format and I couldn't exactly put my finger on what was slightly less exciting. It's not that I wasn't enjoying the episode. I absolutely was. But an article by Vulture perfectly described this, so I want to give them credit. He says about the use of multiple timelines that we see already, the story path skews more towards mysteries that encourage us to put the pieces together later. And he's worried there's a fundamental difference between the level of investment with, oh no, I hope so-and-so doesn't die versus, huh, I wonder how so-and-so died. That's looking at things from after the fact, kind of building curiosity to solve what did occur within the mystery instead of hanging on by the edge of your seat to the drama that's occurring right now. And the other part of that is feeling invested with your characters. We brought this up in the instant cast. If we can't root for the hosts anymore and we don't have that many humans to which we are fond, who do we root for? And how do you get excited about a show that doesn't have characters you're so eager to see win? Some of that is brought out with the massive level of violence that's occurring with episode one. The fact that the hosts are slaughtering everyone decreases the level of empathy we're able to have for them. You said that last time. If anything, it makes us divorced from their plights. So I think that's going to have to change quickly. And we surmise that could be us shifting our allegiance towards the humans. They're going to have to give us some characters that we can get to know and cling on to a little more from that side. I do have to say at this point, I'm not really rooting for Dolores. She scares me. Mm-hmm. And actually, Arnold said that to her in the beginning. Yes. <laughs> so I'm on par with that. What she's turning into, I don't believe will be a good guy or bad guy. And with that being said, that might be one of the main themes that they're going for this season. A lot of gray area. There won't be a good guy or bad guy. Well, There's going to be goods and bads in everybody. Even Teddy's a little suspect of her, right? The person who's yeah. programmed to be in love with her and by her side no matter what is looking at her throughout the course of this episode. Like, I don't know if I'm totally on board with all that. And we talked about really feeling for Maeve, but will that continue along in the same fashion? Is she achieving this level of humanity? Does she care about people like Lee? That's all very much up in the air. I think my biggest connections right now are still to Bernard. For sure, because one, we haven't seen him do anything unforgivable or anything brutal. 
now we've seen an aftermath of him saying he killed all these mm-hmm. hosts. But I really believe that there was a reason that we will find out. Where Maeve is concerned, let's say she finds her daughter. One, we brought this up last time, will the daughter even know who she is? That's fine because she can kind of reprogram people at this point. But two, okay, the, the daughter knows who she is now and she's very happy. It's not like they're just going to go back in that ranch house and live happily ever after. Mm -hmm. There's humans out there that want to kill them. So she's going to have to go to war. Or escape and try to make her way in the real world as a human in disguise. And that will bring us to a conversation later. Is that already happening within the larger world and people just don't know about it? But here we are getting carried away again. A hallmark of our CKC (laughs) discussions. Let's back it up and go through the plot where we open up with Bernard getting scattered dreams and memories of the night of the killings and waking up on the beach of what we now know is the island. A Delos paramilitary security team is trying to secure the situation and executing hosts, during which time Stubbs recognizes Bernard as the quote-unquote boss, and the team goes along with that because they have the ID cards which confirm that for Bernard. Well, looking at those cards, they were red, and it said, High Priority. And the way that woman looked up afterwards, I'm not too sure if those cards meant that they're good. I don't know exactly what those cards mean at this point. It seemed like they did distinguish, though, who was human. And I'm wondering, with this type of operation in park, how do they not have a more advanced system if they don't know of scanning people and it shows whether they're host or human? Like, is Bernard going to be able to just keep getting away with this? Well, it seems at this point that he's a little special. As a machine, he's different than everybody else. He has DNA. Mm -hmm. We'll learn more and more that you've discussed this with me, that Bernard's coding and actually the way he was built is a little more advanced than the regular hosts. Well, Stubbs is there and he takes Bernard to Carl Strand. It's a little strange because we don't get much of what's going on with Stubbs. We don't hear about the background, what happened to him this entire time. If I'm correct, the last time we saw him in season one, he was with Elsie, who we don't know where she's at right now. I'm not sure if he was with Elsie the last time we saw him. The last time I remember is him being alone in the field and the Native Americans started creeping up on him and he kept saying seesaw motor functions and they weren't. Yes, I do remember that. I can't remember if it's before or after. Do you remember when him and Elsie go looking for the stray host? And they are borderline attacked, right? So they go off on quite a few little side missions like that. At some point, Elsie goes missing. And I'm a little shocked that that's not being followed up on by somebody like Stubbs. But I think we will see that in the future. And after our introduction to Carl Strand, he tells Bernard he needs his help to figure out what happened here. He mentions that you could potentially blame the head of behavior for these problems, and that's why I bring up Elsie. If she does come back on the scene, is she going to take heat for what's going on with the hosts? He also tells them they have search teams at other parks, but most of the board was here when the incident began, and communications have been down for two weeks. That leads me to, theoretically, if the hosts did try to escape and go to another park, They have teams looking there as well. Maybe not as thoroughly. Maybe they'll leave sooner. That could be a possibility to try to get away if they weren't ready to go to the mainland yet. We also see what looks like military from the mainland. I don't believe we got which country that is. It does seem to be located off an island somewhere in Asia, and their military was sent to try to secure things. 
but the Delos board made it firm. They have authority here. They had to sign an NDA and leave. This Carl Strand seems like a no-nonsense fellow. He has absolutely no care in the world about these hosts. He's in there for one job. It's to clean up. And cleaning up means putting down the hosts and getting the guests out of there alive. And saving as many assets as they can not causing a huge financial issue. Presumably they could repair and bring back these hosts. What I'm thinking about the mainland military is they might be okay with being turned off the island so rudely right now because yes, technically this company is in control. But if more killings start to occur and there's a threat of this moving off of the island towards them, they are definitely going to become involved again. In order to get information, Carl Strand demands Mr. Costa do infield surgery and remove the scalp and skull of one of the dead Ghost Nation hosts to see his final moments. Now they zeroed in on the scalp when Mr. Costa was basically scalping a Native American. Mm -hmm. That symbolism was there on purpose. It wasn't by mistake. When he pulls the scalp off, we're quickly reminded of the maze, season one, and the fact that they weren't aware that that was under there. And it seemed like there was maybe something different about the structure or something else that they were seeing as well. There's a whole lot of changes, clearly, that Ford has been up to. But that circular device has always been there. We as viewers just haven't been able to see it until now. And it does appear to be kind of like a host brain, their hard drive of storage. Once inserted into the tablet, they are able to see what has happened. They go back to a recording from 11 days ago where Dolores is killing everyone and making her speech about not all of us deserve to make it to the valley beyond. And Costa is confused because after all, these hosts can't just change their character profiles, right? How is this happening? This valley beyond, is this what is flooded at this point? I think so. And if that does lead eventually to other parks, was this an attempt to help them get there or to stop them from getting there? That goes back to our question about Bernard and his actions. So then we break from the present until the end of the episode, and we go to different levels of the past. What we're going to do is continue along with the same character. This is generally how we discuss the episodes in groupings. So we'll talk about all the Bernard scenes, then move on to the Dolores ones, the Man in Black ones, and the Maeve and Sizemore ones. We already talked about Bernard's flashback to the distant past and his dreams that he had being frightened about Dolores. And then he starts to remember moments from the night 11 days ago where the chaos ensued and the massacre began. He remembers hiding from the shootout in Sweetwater when Hale and a group of survivors joined him. Hale wonders how the hosts were able to use guns. This was an important question that I think was coming up for all of us. We saw from last season that they could only shoot other hosts. They weren't able to shoot humans. But Bernard thinks Ford must have altered the system and coded it to read them all as hosts. And that's how they are able to now fire. They're seeing other humans as hosts as well. The survivors look to Bernard for a plan to escape. He tells them there is a refurbishment outpost two miles northeast. In the process of getting there... He tries to stop them from killing a harmless stable hand host. Survivors aren't hearing any of that, and during the scuffle, Bernard hits his head, causing his previously self-inflicted gunshot wound to reopen, and cortical fluid starts dripping from his ear. 
Now, we need to pause it there to talk about this fluid that's coming out of Bernard's brain. The HBO synopsis lists it as cortical fluid, but essentially that sounds very much the same as CSF, human cerebrospinal fluid. This is something we all have in our brains, a clear colorless fluid found in the brain and spinal cord. We have about 125 milliliters in there at any given time, and 500 milliliters are generated every day. It's constantly reabsorbed. It's mostly produced by the blood vessels in your brain. It is very important because it acts as a cushion or buffer for your brain. It provides basic mechanical functions and immunological protection. Here are the three big things, and Jason, it's funny you brought one of them up last time. It is a shock absorber, a cooling system, and a waste disposal pathway. So didn't you say in the instant cast, I wonder if it's like a cooling fluid? Yeah. Yeah, that is part of what it does. As a buffer, it allows the brain to maintain its density without being impaired because the brain weighs so much on its own that if the fluid didn't have it sitting in kind of a neutral state, it would stag down and cut off blood supply and kill some of the neurons in your brain. Oh, jeez. So it has to keep it in place, but it also kind of protects tissue from injury. So if you were to hit your head really hard, you have that buffer of the fluid in between. Normally, with us humans, that has to be created from these blood vessels within your brain. So it seems like with the hosts, this is put in there. Anytime they lose it, it has to be injected, like the way we see Bernard doing it, or fixed. But it's not like they can just create more of their own. However, it could be very similar in makeup to what we have in our brain. This keeps bringing up those questions. How different is their layout really from ours? And do they all have that same fluid? Does it serve the same function for everyone or is Bernard's different? We don't really know because this is the first time we're seeing any of that happen. I know this is kind of boring information, so I won't go down that path anymore. But if you want to know more about the brain, the human brain that is, and the way it functions, if some of those terms don't make a ton of sense, we actually covered this in a recent CKC Patreon bonus cast. This month, we gave our Patreon Clatchers a bonus episode that included a lot of really fun information about the brain, some news about today, more specifically, meat that's being processed and grown in labs, which is very fitting for this. Mm -hmm. We see what can be done in labs, and uh, the possibility of that being the meat of the future. We will be eating lab-grown meat. And we go over so many other fun things, other shows that are happening that are really cool, outtakes, also this month, our Clatchers voted on their movie for the month, and they voted A Quiet Place. So we went to the movies, and we did a really intensive review. And that's what you can expect every month when you become a Patreon member. A bonus podcast and a movie podcast. But it doesn't stop there. Every Patreon member gets a chance to win free CKC gear from our gear store. At the beginning of the month, Christina and I do a video where we draw from our Clatch Nation hat. Yes, there's a raffle for both new members who have signed up that month as well as existing members who are already part of the Patreon crew. But if you win, you have the ability to choose any item of merchandise from the store that you want. We're talking t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, tote bags, and there will be more to come in the future. You can see all those on coffeeclatchcrew.com. Click on gear. And the whole store is right there. Jason also forgot to mention we cover all types of movies. I know not everyone is a horror fan. We do comedy, fantasy, sci-fi, whatever the Clatchers vote for, or sometimes fun throwbacks like Harry Potter. 
But just coming back around to the brain, this past month was a part two. There was also a part one two months ago that talks about the general structure of the brain, more knowledge and information. And next month, we will get into what is the future of science for our bodies. All of this is right along with Westworld. If you are interested, now is the right time to take a look and sign up. There's a tier for everyone. So check it out, coffeeclatchcrew.com. Click on Patreon. Let's come back to Bernard, who is experiencing the beginnings of these malfunctions, dripping cortical fluid, but he continues on and leads the group to the entrance on the other side of the valley. While on the way, he wonders to himself, What if Dolores pulled that trigger of her own free will? Let's have a little ding every time we reference free will. They are nearly to the outpost when they encounter a trap the host set. It kills most of the survivors, but Bernard recognizes it in time and he hides with Hale. He thinks they're lost, but she leads them to another hidden outpost nearby. Now, interesting she knew about that, and he didn't, right? Yeah, we're starting to learn that there's a lot of things that he does not know about, and maybe Ford didn't even know about. Hmm, I wonder. Well, the secret elevator takes them to a secret lab, and Bernard passes some sort of DNA scan. This made me wonder, is it just a trick Ford made so Bernard could the scans? Did he do certain things that made Bernard look human? Or is he advanced more than the other host? Does he have actual DNA taken from Arnold or other elements that would make him a more sophisticated type of AI? In the lab, the off-network drone hosts extract the brain of a host and run scans. Are we logging records of guests' experiences and their DNA? We're not having that conversation, Bernard. Because none of it's going to matter until we can find a very important needle on this fucking haystack. So this goes back to the disclaimer we read a long time ago about what Westworld can do with your personal and bodily information. <laughs> oh, I remember that. We went into great detail and we extrapolated and hypothesized what that could mean for us. So during last season, we came up with a couple of possibilities for what they could be doing with the DNA. First, and I think foremost on everyone's mind... They are using this as a way to try to build clones for humans that want to essentially live forever. There is a way they would be able to download their consciousness into a host. Some problems with that, though. We don't see the ability to literally download a consciousness. Even if they are able to create a host in the physical likeness of someone else, that doesn't make them that person. When Ford recreated Arnold in Bernard, he had to spend a long time kind of building back up that personality, training him to be that person, I guess. And perhaps he even had some actual DNA that he could have put in there to make that more likely. If Delos is planning on using that to give to the wider world, either they've reached a more sophisticated level we don't know about, and I don't think so because Ford was at the forefront of this, or it's still an evolving concept. Number two is they could be creating host servants, right? A robot host in every house that does what you don't want to do. A little boring, still plausible. They could be creating a robot army. I think that's a lot less likely. Or finally, an obscure possibility, but one that seems like it could be, some important people visit the parks here at Delos. Whether by accident or on purpose, something could happen to them where they die here in the park. If we had the ability to recreate them as a host version and send them back into the world, 
the rest of the world wouldn't know that it's not still that person, but now they're under the control of Delos. So imagine the president, the prime minister, somebody in a high position of power that you now control out in the world. Yeah, that's definitely taking the Darth Vader approach to it. But then you still have that same issue that you were saying in the beginning, which was the personality. They wouldn't Mm -hmm. have the personality traits. Eventually that would be recognized unless there is some method that they have of doing that and we don't know about it yet. So that's something for the Clatchers. What do you guys think? Why do you believe that they're taking the DNA from their guests and the memory of the hosts who interacted with those guests? Why are they taking it and what are they doing with it? What are their plans? We know they desperately want the data. It's their insurance policy that the company is willing to protect at all costs. Because during this scene... We see Hale is busy trying to communicate with the outside. She tells them the situation is critical, but they respond all extraction protocols have been suspended. They are awaiting package. She says package delivered, initiate personnel extraction immediately. We don't know who she's talking to. They are not going to help in any way until they know they've gotten that data that Peter Abernathy was supposed to bring. So I'm believing it's a character that we have not met yet, and it's Logan's father, James Delos. But he would be someone who is higher than the CEO, the man in black, William. Yeah, the founder of the company. I don't know if there's anybody really above him. Or like I said flippantly last episode, Logan himself. We always ask what happened to him. There is still that possibility that he did not die. We do know that we're going to come around to flashbacks of younger man in black when he was William in the park. Maybe that's why we need them to flesh out the backstory of what happened to Logan. But I don't mean to get the conspiracy theorists off and running. Back here, this is when Hale turns to Bernard for help in order to hardline into the host's mesh network. And he finds Peter Abernathy. But during the midst of this, he is struggling with that critical corruption we mentioned. The shaking hands, the blurry eyesight, he almost passes out. So while she's not looking, he runs a self-diagnostic that reveals he has less than an hour before the fatal malfunction. He then steals and injects himself with the extra cortical fluid. Now, do you think this fixes him or just buys him some more time? Oh, definitely just time. It's a temporary holdover. If he's still having a damage to that physical part, the fluid's going to keep leaking back out. He's got to fix that. And I do have a theory about that, but it's based off of a trailer. So I'm going to refrain from saying anything. Okay, let's take this opportunity then to shift gears and talk about Dolores. She takes three humans captive and strings them up to nooses while Teddy watches. Please. You're in a dream. You're in my dream. For years, I had no dreams of my own. I moved from hell to hell of your making. Never thinking to question the nature of my reality. Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Did you ever stop to wonder about your actions? The price you'd have to pay if there was a reckoning? That reckoning is here. What are your drives? Please, I I don't want to die. Please. 
<laughs> yes. Survival. It's your cornerstone. That's not the only drive, is it? There's a part of you that wants to hurt, to kill. That's why you created us, this place. To be prisoners to your own desires. But now you're a prisoner to mine. Under all these lives I've lived, something else has been growing. I've evolved into something new, and I have one last role to play myself. We talked about last time if that really is herself or if it's the Wyatt character continuing that narrative. Yeah. Also playing on the concept of free will, the conversation she's having with them, well, it's a one-way conversation, but she's saying basically everything that Ford said to her in season one. But that might have been just, you know, like an FU, right? Well, I don't know, because even down to when she's walking away and leaving them for dead, she says, doesn't look like anything to me. That particular part did seem like an FU, like a yeah, a laughing at it type thing. Absolutely. But it's one more layer that makes us question. And even Teddy is questioning, as we said. He later asks her if this is really all she wants, blood. To which she replies, they took our minds and our memories, but now I remember everything. It won't be enough to win this world. We'll need to take that one from them as well. That's scary. I, I don't know how to take that. It's one thing when you're fighting for your freedom, but then when you're going to try to take over the entire world or... Well, one, impossible. But two, you have just become the bad guy in that scenario. One, do you think she even really knows what that means? She can remember everything from her experiences here in the park. That doesn't mean she has an understanding of what the wider world is. Is the wider world to her just all six other parks? Ooh, good question. Does she even know about the other parks? I know Maeve knows, and Hector, and the few that were with her at the end of the season, but Dolores wasn't there, and they haven't spoken mm -hmm. since then. So I believe her understanding of the greater world is even less. I would agree with that. And even Teddy wonders practically, how could they stop them? To which she says she knows how the story ends. Again, doesn't this feel a lot like somebody reading out their narrative, what's been told to them? I don't know. It's just confusing to me because so many people see Dolores as being the one who is really awakened. And I don't know we've gotten proof of that. Speaking of not woke... I really believe Teddy is not. He's just a machine that's following the love narrative that he has for Dolores. Poor Teddy. Do you know what she means in the end when she says she's going to show him the truth? No, I don't. Because I'm basing off of the knowledge I have of the knowledge she has. I know. She has the picture, maybe, the photo, but that's it. Well, that was enough to kind of snap both her and Peter Abernathy out of something. That picture has some greater meaning to them. Perhaps it could do the same for Teddy. And don't misunderstand me when I say that about Dolores. I know she knows a lot more than most hosts, especially with her interactions with Arnold and now Bernard and her memories of it. And remember when she found the maze with the man in black. So yes, she does have a better understanding of what's going on. But when we're talking about the world, the outside world, even Maeve never stayed on that train. So... I mean, even us, we don't know what the outside yeah. world there looks like. Tell me about it. It's whatever Arnold, Bernard, Ford wanted them to know. Well, that's all we get of Dolores. We move on to the man in black who is in Escalante, where he rolls out underneath the dead bodies 
that he used as protection, and a lone wolf prowls the streets. He goes to a cabin to clean himself up and put on a new black hat. Is this his house? It looks like his personal belongings he has stashed there. His house or where he last was? I mean, everything is his at this point. So. Yeah, what I mean is like one of his safe uh, getaway cabins, the way Ford yeah. had his hidden. I don't know if it's hidden. Maybe he just has certain spots throughout the park where he can just chill. You know, he's they're far away from each. The park is huge. So he probably has like a place to lay his head. Checkpoint. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but how badass was that scene when he puts the hat back on? He looks at us. And his face is all bloody and he gives that Ed Harris smile. God, that was amazing. He looks scary. If this is the one human we're supposed to be connecting with right now, very difficult. You say that, but I think his narrative is going to be completely different this season. I think we're going to end up liking him more. He's going to go from someone who is just angry and hates the hosts or seemingly hates the hosts and doesn't have a care to someone who I believe may end up helping the hosts in the end. Well, I could see that as in season one, they developed a lot more empathy for us by giving us the flashbacks to William. We know we're probably going to be getting some more of those. If we get a fleshed in backstory that makes him more of a relatable human, I could see our opinions changing. And as we said, how much is Ford kind of playing with him? While searching for food, he comes across the Ford host child that speaks in a voice mixed with adult Ford. He tells him, now you're in my game. In this game, you must find the door. Congratulations, William. This game is meant for you. It begins where you end and ends where you begin. Don't worry. The game will find you. Is this the riddling Sphinx already or <laughs> what? This was the first scene where I was like, yes, we are definitely back in Westworld. It's the first scene that really felt like last season, you know? Well, because it's Ford again, even if a different way, it's... The only time we've been with him since last season. He really knows how to push the man in black's buttons. I mean, they've known each other at this point for so many years. And I'm sure they've had many times in a boardroom spoken to each other across the table. And let's reiterate, this is what the man in black has always wanted. He's finally playing the game he searched for from Westworld since the beginning. What were your thoughts when he shoots the host before he leaves? My initial impulse was to be upset, but the greater part of me knew there must be lots of pieces of Ford throughout this park. In season one, we saw the child host was kind of an inner child, a method for adult Ford to bounce his ideas off of. I feel pretty confident that he's not the only one stashed away. How about that kid's acting? I really enjoyed that. He had the cane when he was walking and just his mannerisms was very reflective to Anthony Hopkins. Absolutely. Well, our last grouping before we discuss the final Bernard scene is Maeve and Sizemore, an unexpected pairing that I really enjoyed. It starts out with Sizemore being saved by Maeve. She keeps him along with her as he may be useful to get her an updated map, give her information, ultimately to take her to her daughter. One of the big points here we see is that his commands do not work on the host anymore. He tries a few times to say, cease all motor functions, and it doesn't happen. But when Maeve gives them the commands, it does work. Well, this is very similar to the power that Ford had. He could do things. He could say things. As a matter of fact, sometimes he didn't even have to say anything. Yes. And he could control the hosts. We know that Maeve has all of her apperception levels cranked up. 
She probably had some code put into her that made her the master key. It's got to be even more than that. Yeah, she kind of seems like the commander. And in that case, has she been giving more information to people like Dolores? Is she upgrading other hosts? Well, yeah, if she's aware of this subconscious link that Bernard made us privy to, for sure she could be giving information and planning with other hosts. I don't know if she's gotten that far yet, though. I think it could be coming. I think we could see her upgrade other hosts. She's planning to take Hector with her now. We saw them reunite by that rooftop pool. Of course, he agreed to go with her, and she's patching up his wounds, but will she also upgrade him before they set off together? There was another interaction with Lee almost giving up Maeve to a SWAT group, and she still keeps him along. Although not without punishing him, she orders him to strip first before he puts on the host clothes. Well, to her, she was thinking, you make us do this in front of you all the time. Now it's your turn to have a taste of your own medicine. That, if anything, was the one action that felt very human to me. Shame? She was shamed or hurt or wounded. She wanted him to feel that same way. I don't think that's ever something a robot experiences. So we know we're off on a mission for her to find her daughter. Again, a lot of question marks. The affection she feels from her, where does that come from? What will it be like when they reunite? But I hope that this trio stays together for a little while. I think I'm going to enjoy those dynamics of Maeve, Hector, and Sizemore. Well, I really enjoyed Lee getting his ass kicked mentally (laughs) by Maeve. So yeah, keep that whipping boy around. And I hope she makes him a little stronger. He needs some real-world experiences, I believe. All right, let's go to our last scene, which is back to Bernard in the present. The Delos military team checks the town and finds many dead bodies. They spread out to figure out what's occurred, and Strand says there are still hundreds of guests out there, and he needs Bernard's help to figure it out. This is where they find the dead tiger washed up on shore, and the comment from Stubbs that the Bengals are in Park 6, but they've never crossed park borders. And the first scans come in from the satellite data. They see all the hosts are clustered together on the map. Now, I thought this was something they could just look up through the tablet. Well, the map room, they could look it up. But that map room, like, lost power or something. Well, nobody's there to run it. Yeah. There's no humans (laughs) left in there. So, yeah, I don't know exactly how that works. It does seem they're at a bit of a disadvantage now. What were your feelings when you saw Ford laying there dead with maggots in his head? Oh, that was tough to look at. Even if he lives on in some way, his consciousness somewhere here, the human Ford is gone. Yeah, I was hoping. I was trying to really see the details of the face and hoping to see some metal in there and be like, oh, yes, there was a fake Ford. I think that was a confirmation from the creators. If you were guessing at that wild theory, nope, sorry. The maggots mean real human. So another thing we're going to have to keep our eyes and ears on is the whole storyline of how the bangle got from Park 6 to Westworld. There's got to be a reason. And as we said before, once they come to this sea that's not supposed to be there, how did that happen? All of the host dead bodies that are in the water, was it Bernard? Did he in fact kill them all? So we kept looking at screenshots of this dead body that Bernard and the camera stayed on. For a longer period of time, we knew that body's got to be important because he really dwells on that for a second. At first look, it looked like a female, but I think that's because the pants are filled with water. And also when you drown, you kind of puff up. 
Yeah, the shape looks a little more curvy. The the face does not in that close-up view, but to me, that's not 100% Teddy either. I mean, I definitely see what everyone's talking about, but I'm just not positive yet. I personally feel that is Teddy. I think when we start to see flashbacks of Teddy and Bernard together, we're going to start to see where this result comes from. If so, it looks like he's dressed all in black, which is not a look we normally see Teddy in. He's got a blue shirt, I believe. And that could be dark brown, just wet. Okay, it looks all black to me. Well, it's meant to keep us in suspense, right? I mean, that's clearly why they held the shot on it. And as we said before, what does that even really mean, all of those hosts being drowned there? We've seen hosts repaired and brought back to life. You know, what is dead for them? What is dead for them? But without money or the means, they will remain dead. If the humans take over and declare that they cannot make hosts anymore, chances are, you know, I can foresee Bernard or Maeve sneaking in and getting one host created or something. Or maybe there's backups. Wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. It, even if not the entire operation, will the Westworld park itself be kind of shut down temporarily? This is a major mishap that's going to have to be investigated. It will take some time. But you're right. What we're struggling with this season, and it's funny to say struggling with, it's been one episode, so take this with a grain of salt. What we're trying to figure out, that's better, is what are the stakes here? What are we afraid of at this point? Yeah, how do you feel the proper emotion you get so concerned about a character dying if we've seen them be brought back to life a bazillion times? How do we feel for seeing all of those dead hosts there? How does that become real? How do we emotionally emotionally latch onto characters that we're not sure have achieved sentience and are in fact humans. If they are, they're running around killing people. So it's really hard to find where our feelings should lie as viewers. Yeah. And with that being said, I'm going to give a wild guess. Don't get mad at me, guys. I just want to say it. I want to put it out there. Just thinking about why Bernard would have done this. If this was a last ditch effort to save the hosts and there were doubles of them or a way where he was able to download something and he's going to fix it later. He sacrifices all the hosts now so that the humans are no longer hunting them. They think they're all dead. And then they could come back later. Again, I have absolutely no basis to go off of. It's just a just a weird thought. Could he hide some of them in other parks if they're not looking there? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways that could go if he was, in fact, trying to save them. But I think we need a lot more episodes, a lot more information before we can build some solid theories. Let's come back to this season premiere and give our reverie rating. Keeping in mind, again, IMDb gave it a 9.1 and Rotten Tomatoes an 87%. On a scale of 1 to 10, Jason, what do you give episode 1? For this episode, I'm going to go with a solid 8.1. And this is a good rating. I'm not going in the high nines for a few reasons. One, I tend to grade too high on a season premiere because I'm so excited. So I'm keeping that in mind. But also knowing that this is just Westworld creating the world for us, putting the pieces together. We're essentially walking into the park at this point and just trying to figure out what's going on. We have a lot more to come, a lot more WTFs, if you will. (laughs) I definitely agree. A lot of good setup. I'm feeling a little confused. I don't know where I land on the meter yet, but I'm going to give it an 8.3 reveries for the premiere. 
a good solid opening, but with room for growth. And that moves us on to MVB, the most valuable being for the episode. Every week we give our Clatchers the chance to participate in this podcast because we're all one big family in front of the water cooler. So this week on Twitter, at CKC Podcast, we gave our Clatchers four characters to vote on. Maeve, Bernard, Dolores, and Carl Strand. Carl Strand was a stretch, but we needed a fourth one. We needed a human is what it was. And again, because this was a setup episode, we didn't have anyone really kick ass or do anything to push this the narrative forward yet because there is nothing to push forward at this point. Now, there's still a day left on this poll. We did not anticipate having the time to podcast this quickly, so we apologize for that. So the voting may change a little bit. Yeah, as of right now, we're actually tied for first. But let's start off, no surprise, in fourth place with 0% is Carl Strand. Now, this character... I think we're going to have a lot of really interesting scenes with him. He's very memorable right away. I love Skarsgård's acting. I love how badass he seems. And I know we're going to end up hating him as far as the storyline is concerned. But we put him in there just as a little... He could be the love to hate within the Delos Corporation. I could see that happening kind of like on a less evil villain way and a more (laughs) we pity him. We don't like Lee. But we love to watch him on screen. You know what? I could venture to say he might win an episode, depending on where the story goes, if he has an episode where he really accomplishes something and kicks some host ass. Coming in at third place with 17% is Dolores. That depends a lot on your meter for woke on Dolores and definitely some feelings both ways with her. But I'm feeling the same way that I felt with Dolores last season. Everything she was doing did not seem out of script. To the point of shooting Ford, he knew this was going to happen. This was part of his storyline. Yes, whereas it feels a lot more debatable with Maeve and certainly more debatable with Bernard. So tied for first place right now with 41% are both Maeve and Bernard. What a close race. Maeve being one of the characters, one on screen, she is my favorite. Her personality, her sass is something very fun to watch. And right now she's getting the better of a lot of people. So that makes us feel better. Bernard, let's face it, this episode started with Bernard, ended with Bernard. I'd say 60% of the scenes were Bernard. Yeah. So our Clatchers have spoken. And at this point, we are tied for first place. And Jason, how do you feel about that? My MVB for this episode is Maeve. How did I know? (laughs) I love the way she just toys with Lee. Yeah, it is very interesting. I like that pairing. But everyone she's with, she seems in control of. Hector, for sure, was drinking because he missed her. He was sad about her being gone. And she's back. And they embrace. I'm going to go the other route and choose Bernard. The more I look at it, the more I do think he is the number one candidate for a host that is achieving some kind of consciousness or sentience. And Jeffrey Wright just knocks it out of the park. Anytime he's on screen, I remember why I love Westworld. I love Jeffrey Wright. We want to try to get him on the podcast. He's probably too big of a star to come on. But oh, he's yeah. got such a voice for podcasting, yeah. though, right? If you guys want him on, tweet at him. Tell him that you want him on CKC Podcast. Maybe we can guilt him into it. Well, in response to MVB, Emily says, I know I'm going to want Bernard a lot, and I think it's because we got more of his point of view. 
But in addition to self-healing, his conscious acts to not just shoot Charlotte means he's also awake. Ooh, thank you. I agree. It's good to have you back, Emily. We haven't heard from you in a while. It's hashtag woke, not awake. (laughs) (laughs) At Mara Rose wrote to us, Dolores, because she scares me and I love her for it. (laughs) Yes, and Nick scares me too. Nick responds, I won't even call her Dolores anymore. She's all Wyatt now. And at AC Milan one, Tony reflects our thoughts with saying that it's going to be a roller coaster of a season. We also got a theory from Ross. What if Peter Abernathy is the new Ford? Peter got 35 years of information, including host memories, uploaded to him. He's also a regular on the show now. It's quick and simple. Man, I had never even considered that. Lewis Hertham was amazing on screen. I've said it too many times, so I'm not going to say it again. But <laughs> he could be that kind of character. He could make us believe that that's Ford talking back there in yeah, that brain. Yeah, and hopefully he can be the one if Dolores really starts going down this Wyatt track for sheer retribution. If he comes back at some point, maybe that's enough to kind of calm her down. Well, he is her father, Yes. In the narrative. So I wonder. Hmm. Oh, very interesting. Thank you, Clatchers. That's why we love having you guys write in. You think of things that we don't think of, and it makes our brains turn. Well, we also got some information from discoverwestworld.com and Delos Inc. It's a whole new Discover Westworld now. If you go to that site, it comes up system status, communications embargo. And then if you recall, they tell us life without loops. Chaos takes control. Welcome to the new Westworld. Meticulously crafted and artfully designed to keep us here, Westworld was an immersive vacation where you believed you could sin in peace. That world was a lie. We now have the freedom to become who we want and not who you programmed us to be. We exist outside of your rules and control. Your choices will follow you. We will follow you. We're not broken. You are. Any pieces you leave behind belong to us now. All of us are here for you. Ooh. Any pieces you leave behind belong to us now. Pieces of yourself, your DNA. DNA. What we need to become more human. Oh, I wonder. Hmm. Let the revolution begin. So that goes on, of course. Definitely check it out. We also see a map where there is host tracking on Dolores, who's at a tech outpost, and Maeve, who is at Mesa. And then on to Delos, Inc. We talked about this before. We are gradually shifting towards spoiler territory. Not fully there yet, but if you don't want information from Delos Inc., just proceed with caution. This tells us, decades ago, a man had an idea as old as human ambition itself, that the only limit to progress is imagination, the ability to see a better world. Delos Inc. was formed from that goal and nothing else, because James had nothing else. He used to joke that where he grew up, having dreams was like fighting gravity but he never lost faith that his dream could take off. And now this is more than just a name, it's a legacy. We think of gravity as an unstoppable force, but really it's the curvature of the fabric of our universe. It's our environment, our natural guardrails. James rode along its skews and contours, and we haven't slowed down since, rolling past physical limitations with technology that reach people in every corner of the world. We've used our position at the forefront of biological engineering to print and code dream worlds that you can touch and feel, a place where you can escape yourself to know yourself, a freedom that exists in your wildest dreams and our parks. Realizing your destiny is no small task, but forward progress, the kind that leaps and bounds, requires flexibility, focus, and risk. You've put your faith in our vision of the future, and before you know it, 
will be there. And there's a picture of James himself, the founder. I bring this up because if you're not familiar, this is actor Peter Mullen, who I am absolutely in love with. He played the lead role in my all-time favorite scary movie, Session 9, if you haven't seen it. The absolute scariest movie ever. He played Gordon in that. And ever since then, I have been such a huge fan. I was so excited to see that he was going to be in this. He was also in Children of Men, Harry Potter. He was one of the bad guys, so we don't like him. (laughs) And a bunch of other things. If you're not familiar, definitely check it out. I am so thrilled to see that he's going to be on this show. Well, Jason, we've come to that point where the only things left are official full spoiler territory. So before we lose some of the Clatchers to the spoiler wall... We just wanted to thank you guys for being a part of the Coffee Clutch Crew Westworld and remind you to check us out on Patreon. Give it a try for a month. You'll be part of the pool for free gear and you'll have access to two days worth of content. I'm talking about hour-wise. That's how much work we've put into there. Yeah, that's over 48 hours of content available to you. And if that's not your cup of tea and you do want to help us out, I'm sure all of you shop on Amazon. So you can do the same shopping on Amazon, but first go to coffeeclutchcrew.com Click on our Amazon link and then do your regular shopping. They don't charge you anymore. We just force this big company to give us some money. And who doesn't like doing that? Or at the very least, don't forget to subscribe to our Westworld channel so you get all the episode reviews as soon as they drop and give us a rate and review on iTunes if you like what you hear. It helps the Clatcher Army grow and for people to keep finding our Westworld podcast. Without further ado, we head into the spoilers. This is your warning. We're going to be talking about the titles for the episodes we have yet to come. They've only released one through five, but man, is there a lot of information going on there. For next episode, Reunion, the tagline is, why don't we start at the beginning? I have Mm. a feeling we're going to get a lot of flashbacks, find out how we've come to this point. A lot of flashbacks, and I'm thinking we might see Park 6 next episode. Well, we might see it, but it makes its official entrance in episode five. Akani no Mai, I think is how you say it, which translated in Japanese means Welcome to Shogun World. Oh, we've been calling it Samurai World. I think that's officially what they're going to go by. I mean, we'll see. But let's go back to episodes three and four, which upon digging into the title, maybe give us the most information where this season is headed. Episode three is titled Virtu e Fortuna. It says there is beauty in who we are. Shouldn't we too try to survive? Now, the relationship between virtue, fortuna, and free will is one of the most interesting philosophical problems that's posed in Machiavelli's The Prince. If you're not familiar with this, the figure of the goddess Fortuna, luck or fortune, came from classical Roman mythology. We often talk about Greek, but in Roman, she was portrayed in a positive light. Though fickle and uncertain, she was also the bringer of good luck and abundance. The Christian philosophers, however, focused on her dark side, showing her ability to dash human hopes and emotions. Her symbol was the turning wheel, which people rode to the top only to be thrown to the bottom at the next turning. Virtu is the human energy or action that stands in opposition to fortune. It is drive, talent, or ability directed toward the achievement of certain goals and was considered the most vital quality for a prince. But Machiavelli also limits the power of free will to only half of human affairs. The other half is to the realm of fortune and cannot be controlled. He says people can only act according to their natures, which are not flexible enough to alter. Because a prince can neither choose his nature or change it, free will seems illusory indeed. And virtue, for all its admirability, 
begins to look like a cruel trick played by a god or some other uncontrollable force on humankind. Now, this brings up the question, do even us humans have free will? And we talked about that last season, right? We have so much that goes into our programming, our character, our background, that our decisions perhaps are even a little scripted themselves. Can we break out of our loops? Well, that's exactly what we've been thinking about. While we play with free will, we have to remember how free is our will. You and I go to work. We have jobs. We were free to choose what career we wanted but we had to do it in the confines of what society has set up for us already. What will make you money? What your parents reinforced was a good decision to you. There's so many things that go into that. And if you think of the decisions you've made ever since, how many can you bring to mind which were really out of your pattern or character? When's the last time you made a decision that was unpredictable? Well, that's true, especially for me. I'm very between the lines kind of guy. And will the hosts realize that, you know, now that they're searching for free will, will they try to determine what does that actually mean? Well, a number four will be titled The Riddle of the Sphinx and says, is this now? That's interesting because Bernard said that this episode. If you are looking forward, you're looking in the wrong direction. Man, that brings up a lot of questions. In Greek tradition, the Sphinx has the head of a human, the haunches of a lion, the wings of an eagle, and the tail of a serpent. It is treacherous and merciless, and those who can't answer its riddle suffer a fate such as being killed and eaten by the ravenous monster. I'm sure you've heard of this riddle before. A thing there is whose voice is one, whose feet are four and two and three. So mutable a thing is none that moves in earth or sky or sea. When on most feet this thing doth go, its strength is weakest and its pace most slow. The answer to this is, of course, man. Begins on four feet by crawling as a child, moves on to two feet, walking as an adult, and in old age goes to three, two feet and a cane. There's a lot of directions you can go with this, but knowing that season two is titled The Door, I'm thinking, is there a riddle, an answer that the host will have to answer in order to be able to move through that door? One that only a human would be able to answer and thus proving you are human enough to leave. I like that. That's very meta. We learned in season one, the maze wasn't literally a physical maze. It was something that they had to achieve a level of consciousness. So it would make sense taken to the next level. The door would be perhaps a way to exit if you can show that you're human. Wow. So that's a little glimpse of what we have in store. I'm very excited. Yeah, me too. We also see we're going to get some characters from Samurai World, including a samurai, a geisha, and two that we don't have details on. We will have James Delos himself, the founder, a man named Major Craddock, who is a commanding military officer, Grace, a Westworld guest who has survived the host attack, so another human maybe that we can latch on to, as well as a man named Nicholas, and Mailing, a member of Delos Security who is trying to restore order in the park. We talked about needing to have some more characters and insert some of that so we have a team to root for, and it seems like that might be coming. There's a few actors that I'm aware that are in this season. I don't know at what level, how often we'll see them, but I'm very excited because I know them from other shows. So this should be fun for me. Other than just Peter Mullen? That's right. Okay. To which I say, Peter Mullen, if you are listening, I am such a huge fan. It would be an absolute honor to have you on the podcast. But that's it for now. We will see you next week when we review episode two, Reunion. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to rate and review. And until next week, this rounds on me. 
This round is on me. Please hang up and try again. <laughs>